This program is brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. Chapter 11, Faith, the Heroes of Faith. There are three heroes prior to the flood. Abel, Enoch, and Noah. But before he goes into that, he has a word for the evolutionist. Look what he is saying. In verse 2 and 3, this is what the ancients were commended for. That is the statement of faith, being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. He says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's God speaking. Not an evolutionist. God formed, God formed the universe at his command. And what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God spoke and it appeared. Now, I'm not going into all the little details whether God spoke once and everything was done. You know, you don't need 24 hours to do that. (laughs) And certainly you don't need six whole days. So, was it full 24 hours, times six, 144 hours, and God, and I say this reverently, said, now I'm almost exhausted. Now I need a day of rest. No. No. I'd like to put it this way. And seriously, were you there? You who seem to know everything about creation, the length of days and everything, Honestly, now, were you there? And if, like Job, you have to say, No, Lord, (laughs) uh, I'm going to close my mouth. I don't know. What about these lengths of days? I don't want to go into detail. But give the Holy Spirit, as Herman Ritterboss of old and the Dutch reformer said, give the Holy Spirit a little bit of elbow room, will you? (laughs) Well put. I move on. Abel, he offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. He was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. I think Rembrandt van Rijn pictured Adam, uh, pardon me, Abel and Cain. And the smoke of the offering of Abel went straight up. And then he pictured Cain's offering as staying down. An illustration, that's all. What's helpful? By faith, Enoch was taken from his life. And he did not experience death. 365 years, not days, years. He could not be found because God had taken him away. But for 
before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That means, class, to walk and talk daily, every step with your God. No, that doesn't mean just a quickie and then you have enough for the whole day, Lord. You know that where I am. You know what I'm doing. No, you speak to God throughout the day. Talk to Him. Ask Him for advice. Many times I have a student coming to me with a problem. Dr. K, now what? And while he is talking, I am praying. And I am saying... Lord, grant me the gift of wisdom. May I be your mouthpiece talking to this student. When the student is finished, then it is the Spirit of God speaking through me to him or her. This is it. See, God says very clearly in James chapter 1, Has any one of you need wisdom? Well, come and ask, and I will give it to you liberally. Now, why do you forget and quickly open your mouth and say something? Which, well, sometimes can blow up in your face. Why not ask God's guiding care and the words you must speak? And you will notice God listens. See what the text says. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, then we have the third one, and that is Noah building an ark. Taking 120 years. And the people, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Building an ark on dry land. Have you ever seen the likes of it? Oh, we'll help them along a little bit and make a, money, a little bit of money at his expense. But <laughs> no, no. And then he opens the ark and the animals come in. <laughs> and then it started to rain. And all the laughter ceased. And now comes the point. You ever stop to think at one, what time in human history was the ratio between believers and unbelievers the greatest? Eight people in the ark over against all of humanity on earth. Unbelievers. Who do you think was busy in those days? Satan and his evil angels. If Satan could say, hey, can I, now these last eight, Lord, <laughs> I'll get them. Just the hands off. They're mine. I'll protect them. Okay, now we go on to Abraham. And notice we have Abraham in verse 8 and verse 11. And we have him again in verse 17 and 19. By faith Abraham called to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and went 
even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. The only thing he owned was the cave of Machpelah which he had bought for (laughs) good money. What is it? 400 shekels of silver for a piece of rock. That's all it was. The Hittite, Ephraim, really took advantage of him. But that's all he owned. But we read in verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He looked to the future. Now, now verse 11. Sunday, I have to ask you again. Will you read verse 11 in the NASB? Right. And the NIV has, check it now, if you have the NASB in front of you, check the reading. By faith Abraham, not Sarah, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father, because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, what do you do with the NIV? Once more, you have to go to the Greek. And in the Greek, you read in verse 11 of chapter 11, the word katabalain, or bale, what is it? Bolain. Bolain. Kata means down. And balo means to throw down. And the masculine is used in regard to the issue of males. We're not talking about female. And now this is embarrassing to talk about, well, here's the word, intercourse. But that's what the Greek is talking about. And when the NIV translators came and they had to steer away from the King James and the revised version of, uh, what is it, 1881, and they had to go back to the Greek, they had to say, putting down seed that belongs to Abraham. And so we read, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, he was 99, and then when he was 100, (laughs) there came Isaac. And Sarah herself was barren. Abraham was unable to become a father. We have really covered it up. Because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And then Abraham lived for another 75 years and he got married again. (laughs) And had children. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's the faith. So the writer says, and so from this one man, and he is good as dead. No, not quite. He lived 175. Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. That's God's, God's promise. Now, then you read about by faith Abraham, verse 17. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abram reasoned that God would raise the dead. And you know what Abraham said to the servants who had to stay with the donkey? Here it is. Check it in Genesis 22. And we will come back to you. That is, Isaac and I will come back to you. There's faith. And by the way, this is the last deed of faith of Abraham, recorded, of course, in Genesis. Genesis 22. Now, there's one other thing that I have pointed out. And that is in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Is that all you can say about Isaac? Yes, I would encourage you to make a study of the life of Isaac recorded for us in the book of Genesis. And the sad story is that Isaac was a weak man. Why weak? Well, think for just a moment about the deception of Jacob. You smell like Esau. You feel like Esau, but the voice is like Jacob. Now, Isaac should have known. And Isaac should have said, Esau is the firstborn and he is going to get the blessing. Jacob, sorry for you. You will not get it. Isaac should have said, I believe in a covenant God. And you, Esau, are in the covenant line. But he didn't. Jacob should have, pardon me, Isaac should have reproved Esau when Esau came home with a Hittite woman. And not only one, but two. And again you say, well, okay, he lived. <laughs> on the other side of the farm, in another house. No, 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 no. Esau came home with a Hittite woman and he brought her into the tent of Sarah. And here was faith of Sarah and unbelief of the Hittite woman. And they were going like this. And Esau grieved his parents. These are the exact words that you will find in Genesis. What did Isaac say? Not a word. And note what the author of Hebrews is doing. He is saying, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to the future period. No more. Then I continue. And there are a couple of more things. Here. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph went his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Now, take the history of Joseph. Found in Genesis, chapters 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, all these chapters. Now, couldn't you, as author of Hebrews, have picked an incident and say, now, this was faith. Joseph in the prison. 
after he had interpreted the two dreams of the butler and the baker. And there he sat, waiting, day after day. Are they ever going to do something about it? Will they ever set me free? But by faith, Joseph was made second in command in Egypt. No, not a word. Writer of Hebrews says, read it with me, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. <laughs> now, what, what do you do with a text like that? Bones. Faith. Here is a reference to the covenant God had made with Israel in saying by way of Abraham. This is the land that I'm giving you. For your offspring. And now Joseph is saying, I believe that covenant promise of God and you take my bones back to Israel. Even though it may take decades, no, hundreds of years. And where is he buried? You ever stop to think about it? Where did they take these bones? Joshua chapter 24. They buried the bones of Jacob in the territory of Ephraim, Joseph's son. Interesting, isn't it? Right there. In Ephraim. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. And Joseph had faith. Okay, then we have Moses. And again, I could take all kinds of time talking about Moses. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk for a moment about verse 31. Okay, by contrast, we have Abraham in chapter 8, in chapter 11. Uh, pardon me, not chapter, excuse me, re-race, okay? Well, let's start again. Chapter 11, verse 8. Abraham by faith. 11, verse 11. By faith, Abraham. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham. And now, the father of believers is contrasted with, verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab? The harlot? And the answer is yes. And would you know, he had the same thing in James chapter 2. Page ahead a moment. James chapter 2. Read with me verse 20 and on. <clears throat> James chapter 2, 20 and on. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham Considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and by faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. Verse 25. In the same way, 
was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. That was a lie. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What about that lie? No, they aren't here. They went that away. Now, if you run quickly, you'll catch up with them. They're right here. May God bless Rahab's lie. What do you do? Okay, I'm going to use another illustration. I grew up as a boy in the Netherlands, and in 1940, the war started, Second World War. I was nine years of age. And not too far away from us, a man sheltered a Jewish girl. Now, a German soldier came and said, Do you have a Jew in your house, yes or no? Now, as a good Christian, you have to say yes, because that's a fact, it's true. Yes, she is upstairs. If you go up the ladder here, you'll find her right there. Now, I've spoken the truth, have I not? I'm guiltless. No, you're guilty. Because what you did, you handed over a human being to be destroyed in a concentration camp in Germany. And you handed her over to an agent of Satan. See what you do when you have the law you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you have the law, you shall not speak the lie. Speak the truth at all times. So what do you do? You have to say, how do I serve my God the best with a clear conscience? Here is an agent of Satan who wants me to destroy this human being upstairs. And I can't. I have to tell the man that the the person that you're looking for is not here. And now you have to make the decision. And my simple philosophy or theology is that the love to God and to my neighbor, household of the faith, overrule a lie. And then I can stand before my God and say, yes, Lord, I protected her. And now look at these two spies and Rahab. Shouldn't she have said, I'll show you, right here, I I put them underneath all that flax. Now, if you move it, you'll see them. No, she was faithful to her God. And she said, no. You go that way. Forty, thirty-nine and forty. 
these were all commended, all these people who have been mentioned, for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. And now it comes, verse 40. Read correctly, will you? God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We are talking here about the Old Testament believers. What about them? They did not know Jesus. They had no idea what he would be like, how he would die and rise from the dead. What about it? The writer says, God had planned something better for us, namely Jesus coming, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So all the New Testament saints are together. And that's faith. Now we go on to hope. The word hope is not found in chapter 12. I'll let you know right now. But the concept hope is there. It's a hope of looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a hope. And he encourages us to struggle against sin with a word of encouragement taken from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Then he talked about hardship that you have to endure as true sons and daughters. Verse 8. Discipline is mentioned in verse 9. Our human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? And then he talks about, well, it's not always pleasant to be disciplined. It's painful, in fact. Look at verse 11. And then he has a warning against refusing God. Verse 11 and on. I call your attention to verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now read the next verse carefully. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Now, don't make the mistake in saying, no, Esau was sexually immoral because you have no ground for it. What you have to do when you read this sentence is you place a comma after immoral. See that no one is sexually immoral. Comma. Stop. And then he continues, or, secondly, is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. What Esau did, when he sold his rights, he said, I could not care one whit about that covenant that God is talking about. 
I don't need it. I'm hungry. And that comes first. So the covenant blessing was forfeited because of that meal. A single meal, he says. And now note, verse 17, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Now, how do you interpret that text? The blessing with tears. There is a difference between remorse and repentance. And I'll give you one biblical example. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26 and 27. Matthew chapter 26. I read. Verse 71. Peter denied it again with an oath, swearing, I don't know the man talking about Jesus. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them, for your Galilean accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them. Second time, notice swearing means you cannot repeal what you have said. I don't know the man. Lord, if all would run away from you. I would stand next to you. Jesus said before the rooster crows three times, you will have den- or twice you have denied me three times. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will den- disown me three times. And now comes the last <coughs> sentence of chapter 26. And he went outside and wept bitterly. That's repentance. Weeping bitterly. And then you know that Peter was restored. Chapter 21, Gospel of John. Continue reading now. Verse 1, chapter 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, not repentance, remorse, and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Where did he go to? See, Peter went to the apostles and said, I have sinned. He went back to the church. Judas went back to Satan's henchmen. And they say, what is that to us? That's your responsibility, not ours. Judas took the money, threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. Suicide. But what happened when he died? The answer is, he faced 
the judge. And he was condemned. But you read, verse 6, the chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to buy, to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burying place for foreigners. This is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. As was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, they took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel. And so they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now back to Esau. Esau showed no repentance, but only remorse. And remorse is always kicking yourself and saying, now why did I do that? Self-accusation is a good word. Repentance is saying to the Lord, I'm so sorry, Lord, that I hurt you with my sin. Okay, I move on. Then the author of Hebrews writes about the contrast between Sinai as a mountain and Mount Zion as a mountain. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the trumpet blast, to such a voice speaking words that those heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because that could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. By the way, that's not found anywhere in the Old Testament. That's tradition. This comes to us by way of tradition. And then the contrast. And note the beauty of Jesus' mediatorial work. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. No, he's not talking to the people about Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and part of the southern part of Jerusalem is Mount Zion. No, no, no. He's talking spiritually about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so he says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator. Once more he talks about the mediator. He talked about him in chapter 8, verse 6, remember? That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, then he has a few comments to make about listening to what God is saying to you. And he ends up with this warning. I'm reading 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And verse 29 For our God is a consuming fire. John 
chapter 13, love. Chapter 11, faith. Chapter 12, hope. Chapter 13, love. Read verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. And then it goes on. Even though he doesn't use the word love, it is our deeds. Entertaining strangers. Remembering those in prison. Marriage should be honored by all. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And the promise of God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And we, in return, say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Here's a word about Jesus Christ. Note he uses the double name, Jesus Christ. He uses it again in the beautiful benediction which you find in verses 20-21. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. But in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As I said, in every chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer mentions something about the priesthood. Note verse 11 and 12. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. The contrast is between the Israelites in the desert, outside the camp, and Jesus' death outside the city gate of Jerusalem. Though Jerusalem is not mentioned. City gate is to make the people holy. Last of all, <coughs> the benediction. Beautiful, well-worded. <clears throat> May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. A word yet about Timothy. Timothy has been released. But remember that Timothy was a young man. First Timothy chapter 4. Let no one despise you because of your youth. Now let's put a few dates down, okay? Are you with me? Good, here we go. Paul was on his second missionary journey, probably in the year 50, and he came through Lystra where he had been stoned. I know that you people have another interpretation for the word stone nowadays, but stone means been being thrown at by people who have rocks in their hands. <laughs> now, what does Paul do when the people are saying, He's dead! He stands up, and he goes right back into the city of Lystra. <laughs> Talk about courage. 
Why? Simple. It was Paul as the young man known as Saul who stood there holding all the coats of the accusers of Stephen who were throwing rocks at him and killed him. And Paul nodded in approval. Yes, Lord, that's the way to do it. Get rid of that scum. And then in God's providence, a few years later, Paul is stoned. And he must have said, now I know what Stephen went through. And when the Lord caused him to stand up, Paul became a different man. Oh, I know he had that conversion experience at the gates of Damascus. I know all that. But when Paul was on his first missionary journey, was stoned, that changed him. And he became a fighter for the Lord. And so he went back into the city. That's Paul. Now, what about Timothy? On his second missionary journey, Paul took Timothy along. And he probably was, let's just use a round number, 20 years of age. And now it is 13 years later, and Paul writes a letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. And he writes, let no one despise you because of your youth. And he probably was in his early 30s. And now some of you are in your early 30s. And you may say, <laughs> that's not old. True. You're still a young man. And now it is 85. And will you add another 22 years? And Timothy is now 55, 54. Yes. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. And now the last, verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all God's people, those from Italy, send you their greetings. Now, how do you read? What is your interpretation? My interpretation is that the writer, whoever he has, may have been, is writing a letter to the church in Rome. And people around him are saying, send our greetings with you. That is, as you write the letter, those from Italy who are standing around me are sending you their greetings. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Now, what about the other interpretation? Those from Italy around me where I'm sitting in the city of Rome and I'm sending the letter to Palestine. Now, how do you interpret the word from? Away from? Well, here's the problem. <clears throat> Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Verse 1. Verse 1. 
Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Italy. Now, do you say he was away from Italy, uh, from Bethany? Was he away from Bethany? And the answer is no, no. He was in Bethany, he was sick, and he died, and Jesus came and raised him after four days. But the word is from. Now, if that's true in John 11, verse 1, then can't you say it is true also for Hebrews 13:24 Those from that is in Italy send you their greetings. See the problem now? And what do you say now? The answer is away from. That would be a natural interpretation of verse 24. And that's how I take it. The preceding program has been brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary and may not be reproduced or disseminated in part or in whole for sale or for profit without expressed written consent. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu.